Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have joining us from Memphis, Tennessee, Josh Boss Ross. Welcome back. Let's go, man. What's up, buddy? I'm not much, dude. It's good to see you, man. Rocking the Dallas. Hey, man, it's always good. Yeah, rocking the Dallas Cowboys Tony Romo jersey day after the Super Bowl. I love that. I love it. Dude, I thought Romo did a great job last night. I knew I was jumping on a podcast with you the day after a Super Bowl. Yep. We both kind of, I mean, dude, when it comes to being a Cowboy fan these days, I mean, what What else do we have? We have Romo. That's what we got. Yeah, I mean, it's like, dude, Romo made it to a Super Bowl. <laughs> you know I mean? That's kind of what we have. I mean, I, oh, it's sad. It's sad, but true. He right? like, I, like I'll always root for Roma. Like I, he's just I, I like that guy. He's he was my quarterback. Like To that's my quarterback. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Did you guys uh, stay up and watch the game? I did. I watched it with my brother, and uh, so my brother and his wife uh, just moved to uh, Austin, Texas, from Kansas City, and so my brother's. Uh, an Eagles fan, but his secondary loyalty is to KC because his wife is a KC fan. And so I get there and I'm rooting for, for the goat for Tom Brady. I mean, he is, he's a legend. How can I not be like celebrating excellence when I see it? And so I like start cheering. And then I realize, Oh, she's really into this. Like, she's just not like, Hey, I'm from Gant, but like, she's getting mad during the game. But, um, yeah, it was fun though. Did you watch it with your kids? Uh, yeah, we did, man. They watched a little bit. Yeah. I was hoping for a closer game, but man, it was great. I got a buddy, uh, Taylor Hemness, somebody you may need to have on the show one day. He's uh, an anchor for an ABC affiliate in Kansas City. Okay. ACU grad. Huh. He grew up in East Texas, so he grew up not too far from where Mahomes yeah. played high school ball. So he's been he's been able to go and do a few really cool little uh, segments in East Texas. And they, they sent him to Tampa to cover the game. Wow. Which was just awesome, man. Really good dude. And it was just fun following him as he covered – you know, have, I mean, how many anchors get to cover a Super Bowl? Yeah, that dude? is like, that's pretty. How cool is that? And he's a he's an ACU grad. Yeah, is, yeah, he's a year behind me. So I guess did you did we both graduate in '03? Uh, no, I graduated undergrad in '02. So he graduated. Okay, he graduated '04. Yeah. He would have been '04. Wow, good for that guy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah it is weird to think though that uh, we first met. I guess it was 2000, or was it '99? 99 99 wow that yeah man so i was a freshman you were a sophomore you would just transfer yep. so we both were new in abilene yep randy harris a mentor of both of ours and a friend of the show he's been on a couple of times yeah, yeah, right yeah for sure yeah i mean it was randy's first year in abilene too wow so i mean we could say that you me and randy all started acu at the same time yeah it's in some ways like there was a like the trinity moved to abilene same time you me randy i i I had a guy at my gym and uh talking with him and i said you know where are you from you're new to the area and he's yeah i'm I'm from california so what part and he said uh you know the bay area or he said half moon bay i said oh yeah like the bay area i was like yeah i actually uh interned out there uh back when i was in college before my senior year and he goes when was that and i go uh it was 2001 and he goes oh so like a long time ago and i was like yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. It, it was a long time ago. That's that. It is crazy to think that you and I have known each other for over two decades. It, it, dude, half of our lives, man. Half of our lives. Wow. That. Yeah. So Stormont has this ranking. I don't know if you've heard him talk about it, but he has a ranking of his top ten best friends, 
And so he literally has him like ranked out. And uh, so Ashley's number four. I'm number five. Uh, his best friend, Bub, I think is number one. Uh, but then again, you say Bub in Arkansas, like that's half the population. Uh, but like, he's got this ranking, but I, right. like, I hate to give him, no, I got an email from a listener a couple, uh, days ago and she said, do you, do you think you should have moved up Stormont's ranking recently? Cause I, I feel like I should like over these years, I feel like I've ascended. I don't know what actually has done more than I have done for him in the last three years. I feel like I've done more, but nevertheless, his idea that you have to have like this like inner circle of people that you like these are your people you're committed to like it really stuck with me and i'm not as bad of a person as him to actually like publicly rank people out loud but i've definitely got like an inner circle of people like that hey these are people that i'm going to be with for a long time for many more decades and obviously you're very high up on that list and to think of like having someone in your life for half of your life is something that not everyone can say they do outside of their family yeah, no, no, man, for sure. Uh, you know, there was somebody who wrote on friendships a number of years ago. I mean, this may have been 20 years ago. And they talked about how everybody, you know, you have acquaintances, casual friends, close friends, and intimate friends. Yeah. Of course, you have more acquaintances than anybody else. But that when it comes to intimate friends, most people could count on one, maybe two hands. And intimate friends, meaning, man, those people in your life that they know almost everything about you, you know, most things about them, those friends who uh, will encourage you and affirm you and be your biggest fan, but they're also willing to like challenge you because they're so close to you. They're not afraid to push you in life. Mm -hmm. And man, we've, you know, I, I consider you and there are a few others who would be in that circle and man, you know, we don't have to <laughs> go into a lot of this, look what you think about <laughs> I mean, right now you and I are shooting this uh, mid-February and I mean, it was 11 years ago. My sister went through a battle for her life and uh, passed away February 22nd of 2010. And I bet you were at that hospital half of those days. Uh, you know, you think about the things you and I've been through in the 20 years. We've gotten married. We've had kids. Yeah. We've had job transitions. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's been some brokenness in there. I mean, dude, we've been through a lot together, man. Yeah, I told the story. You remember my dog, Chief, which you know, Chief. Uh, I told the story about him passing away yesterday in church. I felt multiple times. And I, every time I tell that story, I, and I didn't mention it yesterday, but I thought about it while I was telling it even, was you know, you calling me up because that happened not just a couple of weeks after Jenny passed away and you called up and you were so considerate and concerned about me after like, it's just a dog, like, and your sister just passed away. And like, those are things like, oh, yeah, man, I'm with you. Oh, good. Okay. Now I just felt really old after that sort of like nostalgic, uh, trip down memory lane. <laughs> is this the, is this the big year for you though? It is. 40 is coming in August, right? It is. Yes. It's, it's definitely coming in August. Any, any tips? Cause obviously you've, right. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, you know, I've been riding in the the forties now for four months. So if you need anybody to give you a few tips, I got you, bro. Oh man, I'm. Yeah, I don't know. Once we get closer to August, I might need an intervention. Man, when I when my parents were forty, I thought they were ancient. Yeah. Yes, I remember. Sure, my kids. Sure, my kids don't look at me right now and think I'm as old as I as I thought my parents were when they were forty. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I was getting Chipotle with Avery. I guess it was Saturday night, maybe, and we go there, and I have a, like a you know UT shirt on, and uh, 
the guy behind the counter says, uh, you know, he's you know doing whatever, pauses for a second, he's kind of waiting for the person next to him, and he goes, so, uh, you go to UT? And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, do, do you go to school in Texas? And I was like, I want to, like, can I give you a hug right now? I'll give you a tip. Like, do you want, like, how much money can I give you right now? Because this is what I need as I'm broaching 40. Just comments like that to make me feel good right. about myself. But hey, two sevens right now on the on this podcast. If if you need a trip to celebrate <laughs> your fortieth or a month before your forty or a month after your forty, Kevin. dude, I have never been more antsy. Yeah, and I love my family, so it's not that I want to get away, but man, I need some adventure in my life. Yeah, you do. You need to have something on your calendar to look forward to. And uh, this has been a a massive uh, like growth opportunity, which I don't know if I've always capitalized on, but this past year of like, like you like. You know, uh, like not getting on an airplane for it seemed like it was a year consecutively that I didn't get on an airplane. And that was like, I, I don't remember the last time I was a year without being on a plane. I think many people are like that. It, it, like it really, uh, it, you know, it, it messes with our rhythm. H- how did you handle the past year of all of a sudden like travel just stopped and like that adventure, which is so like important for sevens just was kind of like removed from your life? Oh, dude, it was, uh, well, let me start off with, it was so hard. I had to cancel a lot of trips, man. I mean, speaking engagements, I had to cancel. Uh, we had been looking forward to going to Hawaii with my parents. We had a Hawaii vacation. And as a, as a parent, dude, how many summers do we have with our kids, man? It's not like we get a hundred of these. So to lose one or two summers, you're missing out on, I mean, a couple of years of an 18-year span you have with the child so man a lot of that uh, you know I do a father-son baseball trip with my kids every summer so there may be two summers now where we don't get to go to a baseball stadium and those are usually real quick trips we take yeah. but man that was hard but I tell you what was what was a gift to me is you know man 2019 there were just some events in my life that uh I, man, like my confidence just took a hit and some insecurities surfaced that I just had to deal with some of my brokenness. The One of the cool things about 2020 for me is the place that God used to repair some brokenness in me was in the local church. It wasn't on other stages. It wasn't on other platforms because I wasn't able to travel. It was <clears throat> investing in the local church, in my local context, my local community, and that I feel like that was a gift for me last year. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, right around the corner, we have uh, Ash Wednesday waiting for us. I assume this is going to be uh, out two days before Ash Wednesday, and you know, Ash Wednesday is a day that we remember our mortality, our finitude, how uh, you know we are not the masters of our universe. That from dust we came, to dust we shall return. It seems like this year, more so than any other year, will be. Uh, an opportunity to celebrate Ash Wednesday with pretty clear eyes and being aware that, yeah, I mean, we, we've we had, I think the number is half a million people in America have passed away from COVID-19. And it, it'll be a unique year as we approach this, uh, you know, this this holiday. How, do you think that's fair? Is that how you understand it too? Oh, dude, absolutely, man. I mean, I think this is a unique, <clears throat> excuse me, I think this is a unique Easter season, Lenten season that we, uh, this could be the only Lent season that we're fully immersed in COVID. You know, 2020, we were kind of just getting into it. 2022, I think all of us hope and we believe that we may not be fully on the other side of COVID, but 
there's going to be more like we're going to be living. Oh, boss, a... don't just put that in the air. Oh, I don't even want to think about <laughs> 2020. I mean, oh. it, it, it's going to be better than, than it is now. But this year we're fully immersed in it. And <sighs> so no doubt, like, I mean, everything from Ash Wednesday to the journey all the way up to Easter Sunday. I mean, those six or seven weeks of what they have to provide. I think could be a real gift to us as we process light, darkness, the struggle between winter and spring. Yeah. Um, and just, I mean, what is it, what it means? I mean, just what that journey means, man, the journey up to Easter is a journey of reflection, of repentance, of renewal. Yeah. And man, I think this is a unique season that the local church has to really capitalize on what that journey can be. It should be like, yeah, for sure. Like I'm still taken aback by the idea of 2022 with COVID still, you know, looming as, do you remember uh, the book Good to Great? They had that uh, Stock Stockdale syndrome or Stockdale uh, principle where it was uh, the people who had an expectation for when they're going to get released from this is a prisoner of war, when they're going to get released, they're the ones that, that broke. But those who just knew it's going to happen at some point, we don't know when, but we just know it's going to happen. Uh, those are the ones who thrived. For me, like I feel like I have dates, and I'm doing the antithesis of what I'm supposed to according to the Stockdale principle. And so you just uh, screwed yeah. that up for me. And, but like you said, last year we were just at the beginning of it, and there was all the jokes that people made of, you know, people had already started to give things up for Lent, and then they didn't realize that COVID was going to make people give up everything for Lent last year. And this year, as we're going into Lent, we have an understanding that uh, you know we have already been without, and so the idea of fasting is probably different. Um, have you thought about what you're going to give up for uh, Lent this year? I really haven't, Luke. <laughs> I've talked to my kids about yeah. it because we're trying to get them into Lent a little bit. Um, I do. You, you, you got me. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, yet, I don't know what man. I'm going to do either yet. So, yeah, no judgment on that. One of the things. So, uh, it, yeah. You and I probably both got into Ash Wednesday and were introduced at probably about the same time. In, in in this book, you mentioned that it was when you were in college and uh, one of our mutual friends, Brandon Gilkey uh, and Casey and you, Casey, your wife, uh, all kind of did this Linton journey together for the first time. And so that's, you're what, like 20 or something like yeah. that? Is that right? That would have been, uh, it, it would have been 2002. Okay. So it would have been uh, your junior year of college, my senior year, first time you you got into Lent. And last year, you guys had a Wednesday night service on Ash Wednesday, and you imparted ashes for the first time at your church. Now, there's some people uh, who, who've been doing this their entire life. It's part of their uh, you know normal rhythms. For some of us who come from a tradition like ours, like it's pretty foreign. Uh, it, you know, it, there's always like questions like how people are going to connect to it. And, you know, you make a comment in the book about how you weren't really expecting people to really fully embrace the meaning of having ashes imparted but when it took place it was deeply meaningful why do you think it was so meaningful well man i think i mean you and i both grew up in a tradition that just did not i mean we we didn't we weren't taught to wrap our minds around a christian calendar at all so some of this came later on i guess early in our adult life that we started thinking about the christian calendar and i mean for me it was lent was the first thing i kind of dove into and even as a church at sycamore view we've honored a lot of lenten practices and good friday for a number of years but ash wednesday wasn't something we talked much about at all it was just too catholic you know yeah, yeah. And, that's it too catholic uh, yeah. so man it was you're right luke i mean i write about it in the book because i 
I didn't know what to expect. And we made the ashes, that station, we made it just a station. So there were other prayer stations. So it's mm -hmm. not like we were up front with ashes and everyone was there to receive ashes. And I didn't know how many people would come to that station. And when I looked up and saw just dozens of people and how meaningful that experience was for them, it really blew me away. And I think for people, there was a light went on of the uh, how powerful repentance is for people because some of us grew up in traditions or grew up just thinking about faith like repentance is something I did when I my conversion experience not like I need repentance for my sanctification and I and I think there, there was something meaningful about that like hey even though I mean for some people man I was important ashes on people who had been Christians for decades i'm talking 50 60 70 years mm -hmm. and there was something powerful about them knowing like man i've experienced a lot of life and even since the conversion have done a lot of things i'm not proud of and something about that marking and for me as one who received ashes but also gave ashes there was something so powerful to know uh it's in the shape of a cross so there's there is something about ashes like man you know we are we're sinful people but yeah. we are touched by the cross so there is there is redemption in this story it, uh, something so powerful about that yeah the connection between you know ashes which remind us from dust we came to dust we shall return and obviously ashes being sackcloth and ashes like it's the kind of from that lineage of like re acts of repentance that we find even in the Jewish text. Um, that there's something about our mortality that makes us deeply aware of our need to repent uh, because, you know, functionally repentance is basically the idea of changing directions. And when it appears that you can see your final destination, it lets you know loud and clear if you're on the right path. Uh, and as we see our mortality, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't like where this is ending up. So I need to change. But so I, I love that about Ash Wednesday, but repentance is kind of a hard for, for me, in some ways, it's like it's a hard thing because you think, yeah, I need to repent if I do the big overt things, right? So we, you know, we confess if, you know, you, you do one of the quote unquote big overt sins, but the the sins of our heart, the sins of like, you know, greed or selfishness or uh, being unforgiving towards other people, it, for some, it seems like it's hard to repent of those things. And if someone's coming to you on Ash Wednesday uh, and they say, I need to repent of this, how would you answer that question of how do I repent from these things? <clears throat> well, I think first of all, I want people to understand, I think what God's response is when we come to God to repent. I don't think God's response is ever, I've been waiting on you. Like where you been? Mm -hmm. uh, what's taking you so long? <clears throat> when people are able to see repentance as a gift, repentance is something that connects us to God. Repentance, mm -hmm. like what God can do with a repentant heart is, I mean, there's so much God can do with that. Like, I, I think God's you know, hands are open to receive repentant hearts, knowing that heaven can do so much for that. So helping people see God's response, because, man, I think there are so many people who still, in, in many of our churches, just have this mindset of coming before God with your brokenness and your sin. Like, there's a God who is so just dis disappointed in who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think trying to reframe who God is, is helpful. Uh, yeah. um, so when we repent in the presence of a loving, gracious, merciful God, there's so much heaven can do with that. And and I think that's, that's really good news. 
But man, you also bring up a good point because, you know, I, I try to encourage people, especially in one-on-one settings, you know, any discipleship relationship I have with folks is man, we've got to try to, to remove and, uh, just kind of that generic prayer that we can pray, you know, sometimes at night, like, God, forgive me for my many sins. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and not that God can't do something with that, but man, like we've got to, we've got to name them before God. So last January, a little over a year ago, if you and I were talking, Luke, and you would ask me, Josh, you know, what's the most important spiritual discipline in your life? For about a year, I would have said there's two of them. It's a discipline of Thanksgiving and it's a discipline of repentance. And now for just over a year, I've tried to honor both of those every day of my life. What am I grateful for before God? And the second is, what do I need to repent of today yeah. to help me, just to help purify my heart? Yeah. When I had uh, uh, Father James Martin on the podcast, he was talking about uh, the examining. And one of the, the pieces to that is a, uh, you know, a confession and... I've since like altered kind of like my nightly gratitude practice to have here's something that like I I confess this is not God's best for me. This is something that I stepped outside of, you know, God's will for my life. And like I've I found it to be I don't know. I it's it it doesn't feel as life giving as like gratitude does, but it seems like it it uh it has a more formative effect because I find myself thinking about that even more because I'm going, man, I've written that down twice in the last four days. I I feel like I really need to do something about, you know, be more patient about this or or whatever the issue is. Um, So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful. It's a helpful practice. What, what does it actually look like on a uh, like day-to-day basis for you? Yeah, for me, it's, which by the way, dude, your uh, podcast with, uh, oh man, who'd you just mention? Uh, Jim Martin. Yeah, yeah, with Martin. I think was that like the same day he was on Colbert. I think it was the uh, no, it was like a couple of days before that because his. Uh, okay. Did you watch him on Colbert? I did, on, man. Yeah, yeah, on Colbert, like he stacks a bunch of books behind him, and for me, it's just like here's just like my, you know, my window. I'm not gonna dress it up for you. So, um, hey, Luke, you're so much better than Colbert. Yeah, I just want you to know that. He, he doesn't have to like have the book to remind Colbert of what the book is. For me, he just knows I'm gonna. I'm going to memorize it. Yeah. So man, back to your question on a daily basis, it's usually in the morning for me. I usually have a, a lengthier prayer time in the morning to center my heart, walk with God. And look, there, there are days uh, where I'm asking God to reveal the things in my life that I need to repent of. Mm-hmm. And usually God, sometimes in a very gracious way and sometimes in a more God, <laughs> like God's confronting me of some things in my life there. I mean, sometimes, man, it's the same thing. And then there are other days where, uh, man, they're just things I need to name before, before God, here are some things in my life that have to change. Yeah. There's pride in me that, uh, man, I, I think that's going to be something I repent of for the rest of my life. Pride, coveting, jealousy, selfishness, need for approval. Hmm. I mean, just things that keep me from being the person God and the leader God has created me to be. Uh, But being able to reframe it, like I said, in this light of a God who is receptive of those moments has really transformed what repentance could look like for me. Now, with with that said, Luke, I think think especially as we enter into this Lenten season, the need for communal confession 
will take on, uh, I think, a new meaning for a lot of us, too. I mean, there's individual personal confession for the sake of our own sanctification. But communal confession, man, we've all been on this journey together for over a year that has not just included, it doesn't, doesn't just include a, a pandemic that has made a lot of us think about just our relationship to God, but man, the need for communal confession when it comes to, uh, man, just social, social and cultural unrest that we've gone through. I hope that this season in a pandemic can make us more aware of the communal journey we're on with other people. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, one of the things that we, it, and truth be told, we've, uh, we already recorded our Ash Wednesday service last week because we're, uh, making it a virtual worship experience just for, you know, uh, for us, like the actual putting ashes on someone's forehead seemed like that's not the socially distant thing for, for us to do at this time. And so like, I've, I've already recorded Ash Wednesday. So I'm like talking about, it, like, I'm looking forward to it, but like, it's weird. Cause it's already done for me anyway, whatever. Um, but uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, one of the things in our liturgy that we've done and we're going to do again this year, we would, whatever. Um, I feel like I'm in like inception right now. One of the things we are going to do, but we already actually technically did it, and whatever, um, is from the Book of Common Prayers. The uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, the Litany of Penance. It's that lengthy confession where there's uh, you know seven lines we all read together, and then there's. Uh, there's this like call and response thing that happens, you know, 13 times where we confess for all these things that we have and haven't done. And like, that's the closest thing I see to what communal confession looks like. And I, I really, I find that very meaningful every year when we do that. When you think of communal confession, what does that, what does that look like for you? Oof, man, <clears throat> dude, that's tricky. I think, um, <clears throat> I think the Bible teaches us how to do this really well, mm-hmm. especially in the old Testament. And that's probably the beginning place for me is that I mean, everything was communal. All their festivals were communal yeah. and embraced history as part of their own story. So we were slaves in Egypt. We rebelled against God. You know, we uh, built idols and worshiped idols among us. So that's e- that, that makes it easier move for me to help people understand, uh, I mean, this isn't something we need to be afraid of. There are sins in the past from our forefathers that is is part of just generational cycles of living human life. Mm-hmm. So we acknowledge these because there are still cycles we're trying to break. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So Ash Wednesday is coming up uh, a couple days after this releases. It is an opportunity to repent. It's an opportunity to uh, confess. It's a time to remember our mortality and our finitude. And it's a time to remember that you know God became temporary so we don't have to pretend to be eternal god became weak so we don't have to pretend to be strong god became limited so we don't have to pretend to be limitless like all these things uh and it kicks off the season of of lint and uh one of the resources that i've used because you're such a big fan of it is a book by henry nowen that you've read most lenten seasons for the past 20 years is that right uh, probably yeah man I, I bet uh yeah i bet i've read it every year for 20 it, years uh it's uh is it show us show me the way yeah show me the way by now it's it's a great resource now yeah. you've decided to come out with your competition to henry now and, and create a better version of that so you can throw the now and one away <laughs> now that uh boss ross has his own lenten reader and now uh the title is anchoring in the storm so you wrote that mainly because you thought now book is outdated and obsolete correct that's, a, that's one way to tell the story, right? 
I wrote this book and here's a, here's a challenge. This is the first book I wrote and, and Luke, man, I don't know how many, I don't even know if I have another book in me. Mm-hmm. This is the book I wrote. Hey, how's it going? My daughter, Audrey just snuck in to the recording. Well, this one's, it's seasonal. This book is seasonal. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew I could have tried to write this in a way where it fits for every Easter season mm-hmm. and maybe we end up adapting it to function in that kind of way. But man, I think we have a unique season right now in the local church to help people walk through an Easter season while we're also working, you know, moving through, a, a you know, what may be a once in a century pandemic, yeah. a lot of unrest to help us anchor well. I mean, I just I kind of dove deep into second, third century Christianity where Easter became this major season for renewal. I think it was a time, and I don't want to act like the church didn't take conversion seriously in the first century or early on in the second century. They did. Uh, but Easter became a time of, um, of preparation for conversion, what conversion was supposed to be rooted in deep forms of discipleship. And, and I think that's kind of where Lent, you know, where Lent was born out of. Like, this is a season for renewal for the church. Mm-hmm. And I knew that as we moved into 2021, that, man, so many of us feel like we have been treading water. And when you tread water, you are reaching for anything that can keep you above water. So we have people who are reaching for anchors that are false anchors, anchors that may keep them afloat for a season, for a few weeks, months. Mm -hmm. And what an opportunity for the church to help people anchor in the right things, like the, the, the true source of life. So uh, this whole idea of anchoring in the storm, man, it's an 82 page book. This is a short book. I wrote it in like 10 days, man. I just, it was kind of a, I just had this idea, started writing, you know, so there's stories and I try to process some storms that have happened that do take place in the Bible. And what do we learn about the character of God in them? Because I do think storms and waves, that is an image most of us can use and connect with of what the last year of our lives have been like. Yeah. And in the last year, we've remembered or we've been forced to finally conceptualize the importance of having anchors, of practices, of spiritual disciplines, of things that keep us connected and rooted when, you know, life seems to be just knocking us off course. Uh, One of the stories you tell in the book is when, uh, I guess, was a year ago when you were down in Florida and the hurricane came through? Dude, it was September, September 2020. Wow. Yeah. And so... It was my fourth. We were doing oh, my fortieth birthday. That's man. right. That's right. And so you're down there. A hurricane comes through. Uh, like a good seven, you decide. Hey, this sounds fun. Uh, Casey, your beloved wife, poor wife, who is a six, so she has a different experience of a hurricane. And you guys hang out too long, and eventually, the like, there's a the only highway that you can get in and out is shut down because it's you know over water, and so you're stuck there. And uh, like I remember you texting us, and we're going. Oh, like boss is going to get swept away in the hurricane. That's a perfect way to uh, wrap up 2020 with boss being taken out to sea. Um, but like that's, I mean, that's a fitting metaphor for how many of us have felt in this past year. And this past year has been a season in which like we just show up somewhere. We show up into something thinking it's going to be like this. Oh, it's a great year. We're going to have good things are going to happen. And it's like a vacation. And then all of a sudden you know, life gives us circumstances that turn us upside down and backwards and we're grabbing for anything to hold on to. And like other stories you tell in the book, like obviously the, you know, the famous story of, you know, Peter being invited to step out 
of um, of the boat or the story of you know God showing up to Elijah in not the big you know the big hurricane sound tornado sound but it's a still quiet voice or even you know Jonah in the storm because of his own disobedience like there's storms all throughout scripture and I think the common reoccurring theme that you remind us of is that there's some anchor to hold on to in the middle of whatever storm you experience right so man this is it's a non-traditional way to to help work people through Easter you know so I mean in this book you know it's not the every Sunday doesn't have the some of the same themes that Henry now and or that I think the church for, for hundreds of years did practice. It's this is a way to help us think through. And here's the Easter season is about anchoring. It's about renewal. It's about just rethinking, yeah. man, what is my life about? As we lead up to the ultimate story that anchors us who were followers of Jesus in the Easter story, like this is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, a, it's kind of a unique, non-traditional way to approach it. I mean, it's kind of built where you can read a chapter a week, process it with friends. Um, and, and I think, I mean, just what do we learn about the character of God through the storms of life? Because a meaningless fact, and I think I mentioned it somewhere in the book, but every single day on, on planet Earth, there are 2,000, about 2,000 thunderstorms that happen. Yeah. So every day, just imagine that. Every single day, there are around 2,000 thunderstorms. And then we start thinking about how many other storms are happening in the lives of people all over the world. Because waves come at us in different, I mean, sometimes the waves are coming and and you can barely feel them. And sometimes, man, we feel like we're going under. And for the church to be able to announce and declare and have a foundation that, man, we have a God, like, here's what we know to be true about God. No matter what size of waves are coming, here's what we're standing on. Here's the truth we're standing on. Here's the mission that will not let us go. Yeah. There's the story. One of the stories you mentioned is one of the stories that my kids love most. um, You know, where where Jesus is in the boat and uh, he looks at the wind and the waves and says, "Peace be still." And it seems like, as we think of like, you know, there's two thousand storms a day. And we think about the storms that happen, you know, metaphorically in our life. the The response that we want our anchor to have towards storms is that voice that calms it down. But we don't get that. Like that's not the the experience most of us have. What we have are, um, you know, God's presence showing up and saying, "All right, I'm going to help you get through one more one more minute, one more day, one more second, and uh, the storm's still going to be there." But instead of, you know, having this, uh, you know. Uh, this storm removing presence, what we have is something that anchors us and holds us to it. Uh, how do we think of anchors like that instead of what we often want, which is the removal of the storm? Does it make sense? Like it seems like God's response to our prayers in storms is not what we want, but it's maybe enough to get us through. Is that fair? I think so, man. And, and part of that, Luke, is I struggled with should I name the book Anchored in the Storm? anchoring in the storm like mm. anchor in the storm because you know is our anchor already set is it that it's already anchored oh interesting is yeah. it anchoring like it, we're still in the process of anchoring and dude when you're in the storm is not the best time for you to try to like develop an anchor yeah. and and that's part of what i try to to teach and 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 do too is man the the time to be like establishing that anchor in your life is not when man you find yourself in the middle of a hurricane it's maybe when there's no storm so that you're ready, you're ready for it. 
So, man, I, I, and I mean, dude, anchors don't live above the surface where you see them. I mean, they're way down deep below the surface. Like very rarely do you ever see an anchor functioning how it's supposed to anchor. Yeah. If, if we're just talking about like anchors out yeah. there in the sea and, and, and on a boat. So, uh, man, establishing in our, in them in our lives takes a, a huge amount, a significant amount of trust, of surrendering, mm-hmm. which isn't always easy. Um, and, and man, I think, man, just making sure we are clinging to the right things. So you, you have these anchoring practices that you talk about of confession and gratitude when someone else is trying to go, okay, well, I don't have any anchors right now. Uh, I've heard you talk about those. Are there other anchors that you would say, these are ones that you can step into right away and, you know, start experiencing the benefit of an anchor, even if, you know, you like the old adage, the two, be- two best days to plant a tree are, you know, 20, 20 years ago. And then today, like if someone's like, okay, I'm going to plant this anchor right now. Uh, we've got confession, we've got gratitude. What are other anchors that we can step into right now and, and, and find like the good news of. Yeah. And man, I, <clears throat> I, I want to answer it, especially for followers of Jesus. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I are pastors in churches, but for me, a, a lot of times it, it's coming back to Luke chapter six. It's the Jesus rhythm. I mean, this this is something also that comes straight from Henry now. And but it's solitude, community and, and ministry or, you know, uh, some kind of contemplative practice in your life. The practice of meaningful relationships in your life and service and justice. So having some kind of solitude where people can rest in God. So we may think about a prayer life. Some people call it a quiet time meaningful relationships we need people in our lives that we can process the storms of life with this needs to be more than just fellowship over a meal but what who are those people in your life that you can have those meaningful discussions with and then some kind of service justice i mean for me man when i'm in low points in my life sometimes and and now you know for 10 years we've lived in a a, um an under-resourced community but i just need to be with the poor because it's a lot of times when i have been with the poor in my life is where I discover and I see who God is. So having that kind of rhythm in our lives anchors us, I think in how Jesus like taught us to, to live an anchored life. Yeah. No, I think those are uh, some great pillars to build like your, your rhythm around uh, stepping away, being still being quiet, contem- contemplation, you know, quiet time. If you want to call it that, I think that's great. The relationships, obviously, you know, we we've, in some ways we talked about the front end of the show of like, the reason you and I can step into the relationship that we have uh, in those moments of crisis is because we have those, all those years underneath our belt and it's hard to all of a sudden develop the kind of relationship that can anchor you in the, the adversity that life gives us in that moment. But you, you know, not everyone has that. And so you got to start somewhere, but like you talked about when, you know, when your sister passed away or, you know, I'm, you know, having a rough go at my first job, like those are things that, uh, you know, the benefit of your friendship in that moment for me uh, in Florida, you're calling me every day, checking on me is that we had years up until then. And yeah, anyway, so I, yeah, I highly invest people. I highly encourage people to invest in that and service too. Like one of the things that, you know, I struggle with is I get so wrapped up in myself and there's something cathartic about serving other people and being there for others and helping those who are less fortunate um, because it reminds you of, Jesus is truth that it's better to give than to receive and to give of your energy and your attention and your time 
Like there's healing that we, we experience and all that. So uh, great answer. I love your answer. I don't know why I just said everything you just said again, but uh, that's what I do because I have a microphone well, uh, just as you do. And so I'm just going to repeat everything you said. So anyway, whatever. Um, this whole idea of storms, storms never ask for permission to come into our lives. Mm-hmm. They just come. Like, there's, you know, no rainstorm, thunderstorm, hurricane is going to say, hey, Luke, is this a good weekend for me to come to Austin? Yeah. Like, dude, they just happen. And metaphorically, I mean, it's this is how it happens in life, too. Like, storms don't knock on the door and say, hey, is this a good time? Man, they just happen. So, man, what a season we have right now leading up to Easter in a unique year for us to help remind people of the ultimate source of life. So dude, I'm rooting for churches all over the world. I am rooting for churches uh, in this Easter season that we have the best story that's ever been given. Let's just live it well. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen. Well, boss, the book uh, anchoring in the storm is a resource. I highly encourage all of my listeners to go check out, Uh, go to Amazon, you get a copy of it and uh, it'll be a great resource as you travel through this Easter season. Uh, Boss, thank you for the time. Thank you for writing this book, and uh, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hey, always, man. I love you, dude. So proud of you. You're doing some good work. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.